Hey, y'all. Welcome again to Watermark. My name is John Elmore. I serve here at the Dallas campus within Regeneration. So just recently, my brother, it was his birthday, and so he took me out to eat. Uh, who does that on their own birthday, like treat somebody else? My brother, very generous. So he takes me to this nice Dallas restaurant. I've never been there before. I pull into the parking lot. He's like, you know, you could miss it. Pull in. Be there on your ride. I pull into the parking lot. And I was like, I parked my car. I was like, dude, when I come back, like my car will not be here. They're going to tow it just for bringing down the average. Uh, it, was, it was a nice place. I walk inside, nice building, nice looking people. They're dressed in nice clothes. They're serving nice food. Like everything was nice. It was, it was a uh, quintessential Dallas place. And so we're, we have our, our birthday dinner. And then in the, afterwards, we're sitting on the back patio having a cold Topo Chico. And uh, this guy walks up to our table and, and sits down and says, mind if I join you guys? And I was like, oh, you already have. Like, <laughs> it's, it's a rhetorical question. You're sitting here. Um, did I mention it was his birthday? Because we're not here to talk about it. And he's like, mind if I turn on the TV? And I was like, what are you doing right now? And, uh, you know, he's, he's got his highball glass that he's kind of stirring. And this is totally Dallas, too. He says, so what do you guys do for money? Which is such a, I'm like, how about, what's your name? How are you today? Is it your birthday? Like anything, but like, what do you do for money? As if that sums up my whole existence. And I was like, so I'm just like throwing it back at him. I was like, I work with addicts. And he's like, addicts? Like, uh, I think he thinks I'm mean like roof. Like, oh, storm chaser. Like you fix, you know, hailstorm? Oh, business is good. And I was like, no, addicts, like addicts and alcoholics. I'm a recovering alcoholic, so now I get to help other people who are struggling with various things, and everybody's struggling with something. Awkward pause, stirring his highball glass. He's <laughs> like, and? And he goes, you know what? You need to talk to a friend of mine. I was like, I'd, lo I'd love to talk to a friend of yours. About what? And he's like, man, that guy, he just can't put it down. You know, he, he's got a real problem. He can't put the stuff down. It's ruining his life. You need to talk to him. And I was like, I'd love to. Just, you know, I'll, I'll give you my number. I'd be happy to connect. Uh, and and that, would, that would be my joy. And he goes, let me ask you one thing. If you could give one simple piece of advice to somebody about drinking too much, what would it be? And I was like, at that point in time, I'm like, okay, I see the little sleight of hand there. We're not talking about your friend. We're talking about you. I was like, well, why do you drink? And he was like, let me tell you something. I hate how this stuff makes me feel. I hate what it does to my life. I hate what it does to my marriage. And it's just wrecking everything. And yet I can't stop. I was like, I know. So, so why do you do it? And he's like, because it, by 10 a.m., I can't take the pressure and the stress, and it's just surmounting, and I look around me, and it's the only thing that'll give me a little bit of relief. And I was like, so it's peace. You're drinking because you want peace, right? And he's like, yeah, I guess that sums it up. So what do I do? Like, how do I get rid of that? And I was like, well, well if you just stop drinking, all I've done is taken away your peace. Like, if there's a crying baby and I take away the pacifier, I didn't fix anything. I just made the problem worse. He's like, Yeah. So what do you do? And I was like, you have to replace the piece. You have to replace it with one thing. And he goes, well, what's that one thing? Exercise? And I go, no, no, it's not exercise. That's not going to hurt anything, but it's not exercise. It's Jesus. And he goes, awkward pause. He's like, you know what? I had a friend. 
He was a big drinker, and he said the exact same thing. He's now the happiest guy in the world after that. He doesn't like cram Jesus down your throat, but yeah, he, he says that Jesus changed everything and now gave him joy. I was like, it's true. It's true. He did for me. He will for you. It is true, but he is the one that can give you peace. You can't, I can't just take away your peace. I have to replace your peace. You see, your alcohol is a poisonous pleasure. It's giving you peace, but it's a false imitation peace. It's fleeting. It's life-taking instead of life-giving. It's immediate, but it's not lasting. Jesus will be lasting and life-giving and give you peace without pain. And he's like, oh, well, that, that, that sounds good. So what do, I, what do I do? And we continue the conversation and my brother's sharing with him too, saying like, hey, this life's a blink. It's a blur. Like you need to listen. And this, this is true. And we got to have an incredible evening sharing with that. And the reason why I shared that with you is because I think every single one of us, self-included, foremost, are searching for peace. We're grasping for peace in this broken, fallen, stressful, troublesome world. We're all looking and longing for peace. And God says, he says really clearly in his word where it is found. So as we continue that this is the life series, what I thought as I walk into that restaurant, I'm like, well, this is the life. Like this looks like the life. And God has been kind to remind me, no, 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 no. It's not found out there. It's found here and in me. And so starting for the this is the life series, as we talk about where that life is found, life that is truly life, Proverbs chapter three, verses one through two, it says this, my son, do not forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments, my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. In verse 17 of chapter 3, it says that wisdom, all wisdom's paths are pleasantness and peace. All of her paths lead to peace, the personification of wisdom. And we know that Jesus was called the Prince of Peace in the scriptures. God gives himself the title, the God of Peace. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is peace, like God gives peace, and yet we look for it in vain in this world. There's an indictment against America. You know, this is like, this talk about causing you stress. There's an organization, a government entity called the American Institute of Stress. Are you kidding me? That causes me stress that my tax money is going to the American Institute of Stress. But the reason why it actually exists is because seven out of 10 Americans are chronically struggling with stress. Not in an isolated scenario, not like, oh, I had a rough day at work. I kind of had a stressful time in my marriage, but like chronic stress. So much so that not only do they have stress, but seven out of 10 have a chronic physical or psychological symptom that they are living with because of their stress. Our world is racked by stress. And here's what the common things that they say, this is what stress creates, was chronic fatigue, headaches, stomach trouble, and muscle tension, which sounds like the flu. So like if you have stress, you're just living with the flu 24-7, 365, plus anxiety and trouble and anger. Like that's what we get with stress, and we all know it. Like stress is not foreign to any single one of us, and so we are looking for peace, and God tells us where it's found. And that this is the life series, we know that the example and the source is Jesus. That from his word, as the Proverbs say, that all the teachings of scripture 
lead to peace. All the pathways of wisdom are peace that we can know for certain that Jesus was the perfect example of peace, that prince of peace, and he is the source of peace that we are looking for. Not found in external, but rather in the internal peace despite our circumstances. And so, to cite Jesus as the example of peace, I want to read to you 1 Peter 2.23. It says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, when he was on the cross, he did not threaten, but instead said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Even as they crucified him, he spoke peace over his persecutors. And the reason why is it says, because but he continued entrusting himself to him, God the Father, who judges justly. The Prince of Peace was looking to the God of Peace, the Heavenly Father, who judges justly, and therefore he had peace even as he suffered persecution. But he's not only an example of perfect peace, of the this is the life, but rather he is also the source. He is the wellspring of that peace that we can have despite all the stress and anxieties that we face. He is our source of peace. It says in John 16, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Now, he doesn't say you will have peace. He says you may have peace, meaning it is available to you through me, Jesus. You may have it. And right before that, in John 15, 5, he says, Abide in me, and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. One of those being the fruit of the Holy Spirit, peace. In me, you may have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation. But take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. Peace is mentioned 429 times. In the scriptures, 429 times. It is a thematic example of the wise life, the this is the life, the life of the believer. Peace mentioned 429 times. And yet, in the Proverbs, from where we are springboarding this entire series, it's only mentioned four times. Now, if it could be such an incredible theme of the Christian life, peace, 429 times in the scriptures, and yet only mentioned four times in the Proverbs, like, that's a curious thing. Like, why so few times in the Proverbs? And I believe, having looked at it, that this is the reason, is because where peace is found is very few. Where peace is lost is many. There are many, many ways that we lose peace through stress and anxiety and worry and fretfulness and lust and sloth and gluttony and drunkenness and all greed and pride, all the different ways that we lose peace are many, but where it is found is few. And so just four mentions of peace in the Proverbs. And so as a little setup for today, I want to share this, that peace is not dependent on external circumstances. No matter what is swirling around you, it is not dependent on your external circumstances, but rather on an eternal God who gives internal peace. An eternal God who gives internal peace. So here's where we're going today is one, that the world tells us to find external peace through our situations. That we can find external peace through our situations. God says you will find eternal peace 
through him alone, Christ alone, in salvation. And because of that, we can have internal peace of our consolation through Christ. The world says external peace. There is a God of eternal peace who gives us internal peace. That's where we're going today. So as we begin with external peace, external peace, like the world would say, there is peace to be found outside of God. It would offer peace to you through various things, Women, money, pleasure, men, relationships, status, education, whatever it might be, your savings account, retirement account, it will say there are ways to get peace through your external circumstances. And yet I would say, because the Bible would say that that is a unicorn, that's a mirage, it's it's fraudulent, and you will never, ever find it no matter how much you have. So welcome to Watermark, and I will be your motivational speaker today. You will try in vain. And let me give you a few examples from outside of the Bible. So Rolling Stone interviews Brad Pitt. And Brad Pitt, who's got wealth beyond measure, fame beyond measure, women, sexiest man alive, like all the different things. He, he, I have like one ab. Uh, he's got like 12 Uh, I don't know how it happens, but he's got everything, right? And yet he says to Rolling Stone, they said, so so what is it, you know? Guy like you got it all figured out. And he says, I don't. I don't have it all figured out. Let me tell you something. I've got everything, and yet I have this congenital sadness. A haunting sadness. Because he's like, man, I've got all the external circumstances that would scream that I would have peace, and yet... I have sadness. And in case you dismiss that, you're like, ah, he's kind of a melodramatic, weird actor, you know, 12 monkeys, kind of a weird dude. Like, uh, I don't know about Brad Pitt anyway. Like, he's not the beacon of peace. So let me, let me just toss out a few others who kind of could put their fingertips on everything. Kate Spade, Prince, Michael Jackson, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Heath Ledger, like, we can, we can keep going down the line of the wealthiest, most famous people that could have their fingertips on anything they want, and yet they all lacked peace. But let's go back to the Bible, because Solomon was the wisest man alive, the wealthiest man alive, and yet he himself said, I had entertainment, I had buildings, I had women, I had servants, my servants had servants, I had alcohol and pleasure and music, I had everything. And at the end of the day, he said, I was left with despair of life without God. And so it screams that our peace is not found in external circumstances, and yet we think that it would be. Like I myself, I'm like, well, if I had more money, I wouldn't have trouble. And if I didn't have the stress of daily life, then I wouldn't have, I'd have peace. And if I was always healthy and my kids were always healthy, my wife was always healthy, and if everybody in my family was always healthy, then I would have peace. And let me sum that up for you in a a rememberable phrase. Health, wealth, and happiness. Health, wealth, and happiness. Does that sound familiar? Because those are the promised fruits of the prosperity gospel. And so when I think that I can get peace from my external circumstances, you know what I'm actually saying? Is that what I want is the prosperity gospel. I want Jesus plus. 
not just Jesus. He's not enough. It's not well with my soul. I want, I want health, wealth, and happiness, which is a sick confession of myself because I renounce the pro- prosperity gospel in my orthodoxy, in my beliefs, I renounce the prosperity gospel, and yet in my life, I lust for the prosperity gospel. Like, truth be told, in my daily life, like, that's what I'm longing for. Like, if I get a migraine, it wrecks my day. If I get a big bill, it wrecks my day. Which just says that my life, like, what I actually want, what my flesh wants is the prosperity gospel, which is such an indictment of me that if I had more money, health, or wealth. And so that's what it is to look for peace in external circumstances, and they're not found there. Because here's what the New Testament promises. The New Testament does not promise health and wealth and happiness. Instead, what the New Testament promises, get this, is suffering, trials, persecution, tribulation, affliction, and death. That's like super, super positive and motivating, right? Like that, that, those are the promises of the New Testament, which is totally antithetical to the prosperity gospel. And yet God says in that also, the other thing that he promises is peace. So if that's the case, trial, tribulation, suffering, affliction, persecution, and loss, and he promises peace, then those promises are not mutually exclusive, which screams that peace is not found in external circumstances which is a really helpful reminder to me and I think all of us because that's where my flesh wants to go. In 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8, it says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. It says in James 1, to count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. It says in 1 Peter 1 that these trials that you have faced for a little while have been given that the proving of your faith might result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. And so I think about this like this, um, a blacksmith. And if a blacksmith takes that piece of iron and just leaves it in the cool of the water the whole time, like nothing changes. It just stays the same. But instead takes it and puts it in the furnace of affliction and then hammers out those rough spots to shape it, not to destroy it, but to shape it. And so what doesn't feel like peace is actually God bringing about character and steadfastness and perseverance. He is at work in that. What feels like a lack of peace is actually God is flipping it on end and creating something in you. But this world, he does give us peace throughout. Like, and he gives it to us as gifts. So it's not, all just, it's not that we're sadists and we're always just going like to suffer and be in trials and sorrows and tribulation. Like He gives us these graces in the moment. He does take us from the anvil and the furnace of affliction, and he will put us in the cool of water and give us these little graces. It's when we try to make the graces our gods that we get into trouble. And so C.S. Lewis says this, our Father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant ends 
meaning a stay for the night. We're journeying homeward. We're going towards heaven, the city that never ends, where we will reside forever with God. It's a, it's a stay for the night, not forever, for the night. It's a pleasant inn. He gives us a pleasant inn, but will not encourage us to mistake them for home. Nobody lives forever at a hotel. You, you, you visit a hotel as you're going on your way. But we mistake those graces that he gives us for temporal peace. We're like, man, I just want to stay here. I want to stay in that place of peace with my, my external circumstances because right now all is right in my world. And, and God's like, no, 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 you're not meant to stay there. You're journeying homeward. And so I think about it like this. I want to show you a picture of one of my favorite things up on the screen. Uh, it's not sangria, in case you're like, dude, I thought you gave up drinking. It's a fruit fly trap. And I'm going to help you. There's a little pro tip if fruit flies are driving you crazy. Uh, you take some vinegar, you put the fruit in it, you cover it with saran wrap, you poke holes in it with toothpicks, and the fruit flies are drawn to that which decays. And so they're going to get the fruit, and they go in through the little holes, and then once they've had their fill on that fruit, they can't get back out, and they die in their object of affection because they're drawn to that which decays, which is really entertaining with small children to watch the fruit flies bounce off the ceiling until they die. And we do the same. We do the exact same thing because these gifts that God gives us as little graces and ends along the way, we try to make them ultimate. We try to live there. We try to go in. And once we go in to feast upon them, we can't get out because idols enslave us and keep us. And then we also die in the object of our affection because they were never meant to be ultimate. They were just meant to be a little gift as we journey home. You will not find, no joke, there's a fruit fly on my notes. I just got it. Can you see it? I got it. That's right. Uh, you'll never find your peace in your external circumstances. You can't find it. And so you've got to find eternal peace. So if you can't find peace from external circumstances, let's find it eternally, eternal peace. The way that you will find that is through Christ alone, period. I told my friend as we were sitting at that table on the patio, I said, I quoted Augustine to him. I said, we are restless until we find our rest in him. I said, look, you're finding this false imitation peace in alcohol and you're going to be restless. You're going to be searching for it in the bottle and then the money and then the status and in everything else that this world will offer you until you find your rest in him. You were made for him. In him we live and move and have our being. That's Acts chapter 17. And so you're going to try in vain until you find your eternal peace in him. It says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin are death. What you get because of sin is death, death in this life and death forever in the next in a very real place called hell. Every single person who lives will spend eternity in one of two places. When they come to the fork in the road of death, they will spend eternity in hell or heaven and it all hinges upon sin and what you do with it. If you do nothing with it, Eternity, forever, in hell, separated from God and everything good. And don't think you'll be there with your friends. You will be there tormented forever. But God doesn't leave us there in that problem because he loves you. He's not mad at you. He longs for you to be reconciled to him so that he can rescue you from hell in this life and forever in the next. And so the verse continues. The wages of sin is death. But 
the free gift of God. It is a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't work your way for it. You can't good deed your way up to it. It is a free gift, and all you must do is receive it. When my brother took me to that nice dinner, I wasn't like, okay, well, I'll mow your yard tomorrow. It's like, dude, you're crazy. It's a gift. Like, I just want to buy your dinner. It's a gift. And all I needed to do was receive it. It's the same with Jesus. He's offering you salvation. He died for your sins and rose from the dead, showing that he was not a ma- just a man or a prophet or a preacher, teacher, but rather he was the son of God, God in flesh, sent to die for the sins of the world and then raised again to show that he was God in flesh. And so the gift of God, free gift, is eternal life in this life and forever in the next. But the verse continues, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Meaning there are not many paths up the mountain. Salvation is found in one person, Jesus Christ. There is one name through which men are saved. Acts 4.12, it is Jesus. It's not Allah. Allah is not just, because he would have to deal with your sin. In, in Islam, it says, well, if your good deeds outweigh your bad, then you'll make it into heaven. Well, that's not the case. Like, your, your bad deeds have to be dealt with, or you can't be in the presence of God. And therefore, that is a false teaching. In Hinduism, it's not Vishnu. You don't live a good life, and then you'll, like, progress into a better life in the next until finally you reach, you know, this epitome of godhood, with reincarnation until you get better and better by your good deeding. It doesn't happen in Buddhism. It doesn't happen in Jehovah's Witness or Mormonism. It was just Jesus plus good works. It's only through the forgiveness of sins of Jesus. And he is the one, he is the prince of peace who will give you eternal peace to where you can find, as Jesus says, rest for your soul. He will give you eternal peace and he alone. I told my buddy, In that back patio, I said, hey, look, what I've told you is true. He said, yeah, I've heard it before. And I said, then when you're alone, when you're alone, considering what I've said, you just pray this, Jesus, I am a sinner, save me. That's it. It's not complicated. It's the forgiveness of sins through Jesus. Jesus, I'm a sinner, save me. And I would imagine there's someone in here that, needs to pray that prayer today because they don't know where their eternity is headed. Maybe you think you'll get there because of good works. Jesus, I'm a sinner, save me. And you will find eternal peace. And that eternal peace gives you eternal perspective so that you can navigate through all the external circumstances of life which are just pounding against you with stress and trouble and strife so that you can navigate through this life with peace, that eternal peace, that you can have eternal perspective which will help you. Which is why Jesus said, even as they were offering him over to be executed, Jesus told Pilate, my kingdom is not, of, is not of this world. Pilate was trying to say, like, hey, I can let you off the hook if you'll kneel, kiss the ring, and agree to be, play right with the Pharisees. I can let you off. And he was saying, no, no, no. I have eternal perspective. I came to lay my life down to save the world of sin. My kingdom is not of this world. Do, do you think that this is why I've come, I've come to lay my life down. He had an eternal perspective and therefore could walk right through the midst 
of the most horrific of circumstances, crown of thorns, tear out his beard, crucified between criminals. It's why Paul could have eternal perspective. Paul was stoned and beaten and whipped and shipwrecked and went naked and cold and without. Like Paul had a really wreck of a life. He lacked uh, circumstantial peace. I mean, he was blind for three days when he saw Jesus. Like Paul, Paul went through some messed up stuff. And yet, as he speaks about all that he suffered, he calls it light and momentary. Now, I read Paul's biography. I'm like, dude, that is anything but light and momentary. It sounds like hellacious. But he said the reason why he could call it that is because he had eternal perspective, because God caught him up. He says, whether in the spirit or the body, I do not know, but I saw heaven that I'm not permitted to speak of because he glimpsed heaven, and as a result, he could call these things light and momentary. And so he says in 2 Corinthians 4, So we do not lose heart, meaning I don't lose my peace. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, external circumstances, the trials and strife and loss, but rather we look to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're fading, they're passing away. They won't last forever. They're light and momentary in view of eternity. But the things that are seen are eternal. Which is why the author of Hebrews could say, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now, I am not heavenly minded. My my flesh pulls to the things of this world on a daily basis. It says in Galatians 5 that the flesh and the spirit war against one another so that you do not do what you want to do. And I can testify to that. And so I had a buddy, because I don't live with eternal perspective, so I had a buddy of mine make a a sign that put in our house. It's this sign. It says, this home ain't home. Not because I'm so awesome that I'm always eternally minded with an eternal perspective, but because I need to be reminded daily because I'm awful that I need to have that eternal perspective right in front of me every day. This home ain't home. I'm not living for this world, for money or health or happiness. I'm living for my king. I'm, li- I'm going homeward. I need that reminder daily that this home ain't home. And I think I'm not the only one. And the reason why I tell you that, because just because you have eternal peace with God, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, if you said, Jesus, save me, I'm a sinner, and you have a new life, not a better life, a new life, you've been given eternal peace with an eternal perspective. But guess what? This world is hard and draws us off sides all the time. And so just because you have eternal peace, salvation forever in the next, does not necessarily mean that you have internal peace in the here and now. And I can testify to that. Because I told Laura just this past week, I was like, I feel like such a fraud that I'm going to teach peace this week. Like, I feel like a fraud. Because frankly, for the last month, my life has been marked by anything but peace. And so how can I stand up there and tell them about peace? So let let me just paint a picture of you of like the last month for us. We are buying a house. 
which is super stressful. Selling a house, which is super stressful. By the way, when you sell a house, you have to get it ready to show to people. We have a five, three, and one-year-old who like paint our walls with peanut butter and make it smell like diapers. So good luck trying to prepare your house. Talk about a lack of peace. And you get a one-hour notification. Someone's coming to see your house. You're like, oh, panic and like clean everything. Don't open the closet. Our family got the flu. We went to the doctor and they're like, well, the flu hasn't hit Dallas yet, but you tested positive for both A and B strains. So we were patient zero to bring the flu to Dallas. You're welcome. (laughs) The air conditioner went out in my car for three weeks straight. I didn't have time to get it fixed. And so before the cold front hit, I'm driving down 75, 100 degree heat, like shouting into my phone, like total lack of peace. And then with the home inspection, they were like, uh, turns out you have a leak in your house. I'm like, we do not have a leak in our house. And then our plumber came out and he's like, you have a leak in your house. I was like, really? How bad is it? And he told me, it's bad. And so we're going to have to get that fixed. Talk about a lack of peace. He gave me the estimate. I was like, oh, Laura. So here's the thing. We're going to pay the plumber's mortgage. God has seen fit. (laughs) For the next half of a year. Like anything but peace. And then with this message, Todd gave us the opportunity to like pick one of the subjects from the Proverbs, like peace, faith, obedience, whatever. And I was like, oh, I'll take peace. It was scheduled for November. And then he was like, oh, email last week, scheduling change. Hey, who can, who can do this weekend? And I was like, dude, I can't. I'm not teaching peace right now in the midst of all this chaos. <laughs> no. And then one guy was like, oh, I'm visiting my daughter at college. One guy was like, I'm out of town. And, and I'm like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. I'm just watching the email thread. And I'm like, no, no, no. No, 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 no. And, and I was like, Laura, can I teach peace this weekend? And she was like, well, you can, but I'm out of town for the weekend, so you'll have all the kids. And I was like, I can't teach peace with you out of town. <laughs> the irony. But it's because God was like, no, I, I will sovereignly have you and providentially have you teach peace right now because you yourself, of all people, need to be reminded that peace is not found in your external circumstances, no matter if it's health or wealth or if your money is literally going down the drain. (laughs) God was kind to remind me, your peace is found in me. You will have internal peace through me and me alone. And my whole week shifted about Wednesday because finally the truths as I was preparing this message started to like make their way down from my mind into my heart. And Laura was like, how are you doing with the stress? Because on, on Wednesday night, I'm literally sitting on my couch, hands in my, head in my hands, and, I, and, I'm, and my prayers, it was this terrible prayer. But maybe that's better sometimes, right? All I could pray was like, God, I have nothing. You have to help me. I have nothing. And I think that's exactly what he wanted. It's like, you're right. You're right. And I have everything. So just ask. Quit trying to do it on your own. I'll give you internal peace. And he did. It all shifted when I started applying what I was supposed to preach. Go figure. Internal peace. There's a picture on the screen of this guy carrying this like, I mean, crazy amount of weight of cans. That's how I felt for the last month. But that guy, he doesn't just cruise around with cans. He's taking them somewhere. He's taking them to be melted down to receive something precious in exchange, right? Like collecting cans, he's gonna get money in exchange. And that is exactly how God says internal peace comes. He tells us in Philippians chapter four, verse six, 
He's like, you give me your pressures. Quit carrying around all that weight. Give them to me by prayer, and I will give you peace. You're not meant to carry all that stuff. Lay it down by prayer, and I'll give you peace. And thus he says, do not be anxious about anything. But by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. All that weight just... Boom. And he says, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, the world will be like, how do you have peace right now? With all your circumstances, your swirling hurricane of circumstances, how do you have peace? Which surpasses understanding will guard your heart, your spirit, and your mind in Christ Jesus. What an incredible exchange. Pressures for peace by prayer. Internal peace by prayer. There's also internal peace from practice. As it said from the Proverbs that we studied earlier, that wisdom's ways are peace, and that when the heart keeps the commandments of God, it brings peace. So there's internal peace from practice. This past weekend, we were at my in-law's land. Uh, they, they bought this toy for the kids, and my father-in-law was like, hey, you and me, we're going to go out to the garage. We're going to put this thing together, and I walk into the garage, and there's all these parts strewn across the floor, and this was the instruction manual. I was like, dude, you've got to be kidding me. That's anything but peace. Like, what are you doing to me right now? And so I'm trying to put this thing together, and no joke, I'm, I'm, I, I like to think I'm slightly mechanically inclined, like I can... I can fix some things. When I put this thing together on the table, I, I lift it up, I put it on the ground, and no joke, the back wheels are not even touching the ground. And the kids are like, can we ride it? And they're fussing, and I'm cussing in my mind, and uh, I was like, no, you can't ride it. I don't know why the wheels aren't touching the ground. And like, put it back on. I'm frustrated. So I go back to the instructions, which were in French, by the way. And I'm looking at the instructions, and I'm looking at the parts. And I look at the instructions, and, it, and, it, and I've got to literally like study them. And when I did, and I applied, I practiced what I saw, it all made sense. And then, and then I got this picture, you know, peace. Like, kids are happy, yeah, all. Oh. It was the most frustrating thing in the world, how dare you? <laughs> yeah, they're happy, what about me? But when we practice, it brings internal peace. When we do what God says by his power, not your own, don't just be some Pharisee do-gooder. They did it, but they did it without God. And so God called them sons of hell. But when you practice this by the Spirit, with his power, it brings peace. Not my idea. Philippians 4.9. What you have learned and received Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. If you do this, God will be with you. And then there's internal peace from people. Also, this past week, amidst all that stress, I sent a text to my community group, to Mike and Shane. I'm like, guys, I, I got to tell you, like, I'm just really discouraged. Like, the, the finances and, and pressure with kids and the schedule, and, and like, I feel like I'm just getting hammered, and I'm, I'm discouraged which is so ironic in preparing to teach peace. 
but so appropriate because Mike responds back with really good counsel. He's like, hey, let me help you. Here's how we can navigate through this with like biblical principles. Shane responds back and is like, hey, God's got this. He's reminding me like it's not yours to carry. And so there's internal peace from people. There's internal peace from the people of God. Community. Again, not my idea. Philippians 4.9. Paul says, what you have heard and seen in me, what he spoke in his living example, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Internal peace from prayer, from practice, and from the people of God. You remember the guy that I'm telling about, you know, you'll be restless until you find and rest in him. And I'm like, you're, you're trying to find peace in alcohol. Man, like I was trying to find peace in my external circumstances too. If I just had more money, if my kids weren't sick, if my schedule wasn't so crazy. And I don't think I'm the only one. Because looking out at all of your faces, like I know. Some of you right now, like you just heard the word inoperable. You just heard stage four. You just buried somebody. You have a, a child that's prodigal. You just got served papers. You have school loan and debt. You just got the estimate for the repairs also. Your car, you're like, I wish I had a car that was broken. I don't even have a car. You have the stressors and pressures and of all those external circumstances. But you know what you have like me? You've got eternal peace through Jesus, the eternal word of God, and you can have internal peace from the Prince of Peace. No matter what, no matter what, because his promises never fail. And so let's be reminded of that. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would lead us into peace because you're the God of peace. And in this world, we will have trouble. That's a promise. And we know it. We walk in it. We feel it. There's so much trouble, Lord. And yet you say you are the Prince of Peace, the God of Peace, the fruit of the Spirit is peace. And so we're just declaring right now that we need you and what you alone can provide. Rest for our souls. That you would give us the peace that surpasses understanding. That in the midst of the trouble and the strife, and whether we are in the highlands or the valley of the heartache, that you are our peace. So we don't sing this song in vain. We don't sing it as wishful thinking. We renounce the prosperity gospel and we proclaim the true gospel that in you alone there is peace.